will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Welcome to Leverage Addicts, the podcast for investors looking to maximize returns through leverage. Join host, seasoned mortgage professional and real estate enthusiast, Blandon Lerm, as we explore property investing strategies and learn how to navigate the market to build new wealth. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Leverage Addicts, and I'm your host, Blandon. I'm here joined by my colleague and fellow property investor, Simon. You might have seen him in a previous episode. He's a seasoned expert in the New Zealand property investment space. Obviously, he's you know been in the market in his early 20s. If you guys have sort of looked at the last episode, we've got a hot topic on the table today, and that is the recent policy changes that is about to affect a lot of property investors. We're not only just going to cover some of the tax changes, but also some of the tenancy laws as well. And I want to just have a quick disclaimer as well. Obviously, again, with these type of episodes, there's never financial advice. If you need financial advice, you need to talk to somebody that's going to allow you to have a better insight specifically for your situation. A lot of these laws have not been finalized yet, but looking at sort of where we're heading with the coalition, I think, you know, a lot of these are going to go go ahead. So it's just a matter of time. So we're going to discuss today sort of what and how these are going to impact property investors. So welcome back, Simon. And, you know, before we start, we need to clarify because a lot of people said, uh, like they started asking Simon, like, are you mortgage free? I remember you have some debt on your properties. So maybe let's explain this situation. Like how much debt do you have? What kind of LVR it's sitting on? And what does mortgage-free actually mean? Yeah, good question. I was asked that a couple of times after the podcast, but to clarify, early on in the investing game, I did pay off the owner-occupier mortgage, but it's just not practical to not utilize the 80% LVR that you have on an owner-occupier to keep investing. So I've got a lot of debt. I've got about two, $2.1 million worth of debt. <laughs> yeah, it seems scary, right? But I've got income coming in to service that debt, obviously. I'm sitting around the 40% or slightly under LVR. So it's decent risk for, for the bank to make a bet on me. So they have. Yeah. So essentially, you borrow money, you know, you put on good assets that's going to have some rental income, it's going to pay that debt off. So it just makes sense to, you know, always have some sort of leverage as long as it's on good assets. That's great. So Simon, let's dive right in because the first thing that we're going to look at is the income tax bracket, right? If you have a look at what it is currently, right? In New Zealand, essentially, the more you earn, the higher tax bracket you'll be in. And first 14,000, for example, you pay 10.5%. And then when you earn more than 70,000, you start paying like 33% tax on that portion of income. So what the government has gone and done is basically uh, increase those lower amounts. So what the government has essentially done is increase uh, that tax bracket limits. Um, so that means you'll pay 10.5% tax on the first 15600 instead of 14000 So you'll be uh, paying less tax basically essentially for your first 80k of earnings. That is not obviously just going to affect your lower income earners, but also your high income earners. How do you see that sort of affecting the lending space, affordability, and you know the average household, Simon? Yeah, I think it's a really good initiative because it helps the least fortunate the most percentage-wise. There's not much money coming from that avenue anyway from the government. It's mainly on the higher end of the, of the tax bracket. So it's not going to actually affect the books on the government side of things, but it's really going to help those lower income people, individuals, and families. In relation to how that's going to affect affordability for new lending, it's probably going to have a very marginal 
minimal effect at all because you know it's a, it's a little bit of savings, but uh, it's not going to allow you to borrow an, an extra million. That's for sure. <laughs> what about ten thousand? Yeah, I'd probably say it's around that or slightly lower. I haven't ro- really run the calcs. Yeah, we might see those. I guess those new calculators coming in soon when when that's all in effect. But essentially, the borrowing calculator used the net income, so there should be some borrowing. Maybe you have extra to maybe buy a car. Yeah, not a game changer, but essentially, you know, something is still better than nothing. You know, when you're trying to push for your first home max borrowing, definitely going to help a little bit. The second thing that we're going to talk about is the tenancy law. So some of the major changes, and I'm going to just give you like a quick rundown on what it is today. And there are three major ones. The first one is if you get tenants with pets, right? Like sometimes the the landlord wants a bigger bond because there's more higher chance that the potential tenant make the place worse with pets. That's not allowed uh, previously. And then the second one is uh, periodic tenancy agreements, right? You have to have a re- you have to have a very strong uh, reason to actually end those agreements. And then for notice to to get out the house for the tenants, currently is at 28 days. And for landlords to sort of uh, if they want to move on and, and sell the house and they need to give the tenants 90 days notice. Whereas now the, the three changes, first of all, you can have a uh, extra bond. First of all is landlords can have an extra bond for tenants with pets. And then second one is the 90 day notice on the periodic tenancy. You don't have to provide any reason, but just sufficient time. And then the third one is tenants only need a 21 days notice, which is like one week less. And then for the landlord is actually less than half the time. They only have to give 40 two days notice to kick the tenants out if they wish to sell the property. So as a landlord yourself, you know, what are you feeling when you hear about some of these changes? How does it affect your decision making? I still manage a couple of my rent properties. <laughs> I know that's uh, frowned upon, but I do have managers looking after part of my portfolio as well. What I would say in that is that there was this bit of a nasty back and forth with politics bringing in these laws. There was this assumption that landlords are evil and that they are out to get tenants. I don't conform to this. I I think most people want a good relationship with their tenants. They want it to be mutual. I mean, look at Simon. He's an angel. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no horns here yet. <laughs> so I guess, you know, if I am going to give notice to a tenant, it's for a reason. Maybe I'm getting complaints from neighbors. Maybe they're just not paying the rent on time, that kind of thing. When it says, the law says, you know, have to give a really good reason. Well, it's actually a little bit more than that. Like you don't just have to give a good reason. You have to document it. You have to provide warnings. You have to bring this evidence to the court. You have to bring the tenants to the court. Like it's a big process. And, you know, for someone that is unruly tenant, that can be a daunting experience, even for the professionals. And sometimes it can drag on for a long time and be a costly process. So I don't agree that landlords are out there to just give notice to tenants for no reason, because that just doesn't make economic sense. I'd rather them stay and continue to pay, pay the rent, right? So I think ultimately it's a good thing that protects both sides, good tenants and landlords. Yeah, that's so important. I think definitely uh, I have to agree with Simon on a lot of these points. Essentially, you do want to keep your tenants. You know, like it's not that you don't want to have them, but you definitely need a better way out when, you know, if there's a mismatch, someone that is not going to look after the place. And, you know, I think the healthy homes thing is a good thing. You know, having a higher standard on what type of properties should be rentable on the market. And that's already like a major, I guess, upside for tenants because, yeah, definitely I say there are a lot of landlords that we work with or like clients, investors, they are very proud of 
of providing a really good or nice rental to their tenants, right? The amount of work they put in for the renovations, you know, just the kitchen and the bathroom, those kind of things. Yeah, I definitely see like a lot of landlords being proud of their work. Simon is one of them. Yeah, I do want to kind of put things, a little train of thought against that train of thought thinking there. If you had not so good properties on the market, right? Not healthy homes and you had options and you'd rather get the cheapest possible place, say you're flatting with a couple of guys and they don't really care if it's you've got a fan in the kitchen, you know? But now that it's mandated, actually that creates an upward trend in rents on all properties. So actually you don't have the option to kind of rough it and go without a, you know, a, a fan in the kitchen or a nice new heat pump. Now you have to pay more rent and you have to take those luxury items. So there is a bit of question about that supply and demand That's aspect. That's an interesting way to look at it. Market, yeah, because yeah. I remember when I first... Was there any stats on this or... I think it's just more basic economics and supply and demand in relation to, you know, if there are less quality homes, they are going to be looked at by the people that want to pay the least mm-hmm. amount of rent. Now that those homes are no longer available, they're going to be put into the pool of quality homes that require and demand a certain amount of rent to pay for those repairs and things because nothing comes cheap and nothing comes free, right? Well, I, definitely, so, I definitely know you like the blue government <laughs> by the way you talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's no secret, but um, we try to we try to be as apolitical as possible on these podcasts, right? That's an interesting thought. And I guess you're right. I remember back in uni, I went to visit a friend in Wellington and man, the place was horrible. <laughs> like a student flat. Like it's definitely not healthy home standard. But you know, like a young single guy, just gamers who don't have girlfriends, you know, like that's all good. Just cheap as rent possible, but you can't have that anymore. No, no you're, for, you're forced to have a quality home, but unfortunately it comes with higher rent. Yeah, interesting. One way to think of it. So the third thing that we're going to discuss is probably, you know, one of your favorite topics, interest deductibility. Previously, we have a 50% in 2023 to 2024, which is essentially this is the financial year. We're about to have, you know, like three months left. What, how many? Four or five months left. And then next year, the financial year is going to be 25%. That was the previous law. And then finally in 2025 to 2026 is 0%. So no interest deductibility on existing homes. That's the majority of the market. That's really pushed a lot of people to go buy new builds. But now they're restoring the interest deductibility and it's pretty much coming into effect straight away. So they're saying, hey, look, instead of 50%, you're going to get the 60% for this financial year. And then uh, we're going to bring it up to 80% in the next financial year. And finally, uh, fully restored at 100 how do you see this changing strategy? Like, how do you think that's going to change the demand for property investors? Yeah, there's a couple of things. On the new build front, that's the interesting one, right? They had an unfair advantage, so to speak, right? Right. A government Cheaply. manipulation of the market, so to speak, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. And so we had a lot of clients. We experienced it, right? Clients coming in and say, oh, you know, I want a new bill because it's got interest deductibility. And then we ran the, the numbers on, okay, we're not getting interest deductibility on the existing home, but the yield is so much higher that it actually makes up for it. So it's actually better to forego the interest deductibility in that respect. So it's about understanding the numbers in depth, and that's what an advisor will do for you. A couple of things I want to say is that if you purchase prior to March 
21, I think it is, then you're looking at about currently 50%, as you mentioned. People that purchased after that existing, you're at 0%. What this law does actually is bring those 0% deductibility clients now back up to 60 from this financial year. So it's actually an immediate effect on the cash flow for those clients. So that's one aspect that you know probably isn't communicated as clear as possible. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. That's that's cool. So that, that's an immediate thing that people can take. While, while we're on this uh, interest deductibility aspect of things as well, my view has always been that it just seems absurd that you make a loss and you still have to have a tax bill at the end of the year. That just didn't compute with me. It, it, there was no consistency in tax law at any point that meant that that made sense. Well, that was the loophole. In terms of the new builds, is that what you're saying? Yeah. No, I mean, that's the loophole that the you know, government's government trying to created. cover. That's why I don't like involvement, you know, <laughs> less government as possible, as far as I'm concerned. No, I think, so we've got that, as far as I'm concerned, more normality in the tax arena, more um, consistency for property investors as business operators, because ultimately that's what they do when you get a couple of properties under, you're managing a business. Yeah. So I'm all for it. Yeah. How do you think that's going to affect strategy going forward? I think it's going to have a dampening effect on on new builds, unfortunately. Uh, we all know, and in, anyone who's in a major city can see all these new builds that have been constructed, especially on the lower end, you know, not adequate car parking and things like this. So I think it's going to have a really bad effect on those types of properties. But I think when things change, there's opportunities that come up. Yeah. You still get extra 40% for this financial year and then uh, 20% extra next year. So, you know, there's still a bit of advantage. I do think it's perhaps a little bit unfair with the government, I guess, transitioning, changing from like okay you get all the all the max benefit and then boom it's like back to even playing field and it's like who are you hurting the most it's like the average mom and dad invested that don't really look at all the numbers and everything and just go you know what i'm just like okay i'm investing in this because it's got the benefit and that's always going to be the tough thing is like the less sophisticated people are affected the most yeah but it is what it is and that's why we exist we want to make the education accessible for everybody but yeah i guess moving on to the next one right this is interesting one. And this is looking at the bright line test, right? And we previously have a, so if it's an existing bill, it's got a 10 year bright line. So what that means is if you got capital gains and you sold it within 10 years, you pay tax. If it's a new build, you could sell it within five years. But now the government's saying, you know what, we're going to scrap both of them, put them on even playing field and put it as two years for everything. How is that going to impact our property investors? I don't think it's going to impact the long-term buy and hold property investors that much. I think I don't see myself holding on to properties less than two years, that's for sure. I'm more wanting to hold them on for five, 10, 15 years. That's where I think, you know, a couple of cycles, you get the real benefit of property. I think, you know, maybe some people might want to play around with those years and try to buy and sell and holds within that period. But I think that's a small minority of the market and that what ultimately it will do is that these people that were within Brightline are now going to be outside of it. And because of the high interest rates, they're thinking, okay, we're outside Brightline now. Let's you know sell the property and take the gain and reduce debt while interest rates are higher. I think you'll see a lot of people like that. So what does that mean? It just means more property on the market, which is a good thing. We want more stock on the market. Yeah. Personally, I quite like the strategy of re-looking at your portfolio once in a while and seeing if there's any upgrades. In America, essentially, you know, you've got capital gains tax, but if you were to take your property, sell it and put it in another property, like there's a time frame where you don't need to, you know, pay the tax on the capital gains because you're rolling actually just it over. rolling yep. it over. And 
I feel like there's going to be a lot of that going on. Like I'm in more of the mindset of, you know what? Like if you bought a property under value, right? You're adding 100 to 200,000 gains in the property. But what happens is that is normalized over the course of, you know, five, 10 years because your average capital gains is still going to be the same as every other property. So the biggest gain is when you buy the property or if you could add value to it. So if you've already used all of that, right? You've already added the value. Now you're getting the average capital gains. Then it makes sense if you've got the skill sets to be able to find another property that has value add opportunity or you can buy under value. With the Brightline test, you can roll over your investment. You can go, you know what, I buy this investment, but I'm still looking for something new in the two to three year mark so that if I run out of servicing capacity, I can sell this one and buy the new one. That will instantly add, you know, two, 300K into your property portfolio. You know, even if you had to pay the agent's fee, right? And I think that is overall better for the market because there's more stock coming back on the market. You know, what are you going to do if you sell your property, you probably do it up and you can sell it to first home buyers that are more likely to wanting to take it on. And so I think overall that liquidity in the market is going to be really good. I see that as a very a viable strategy as well to make sure that, hey, you're not just like with the mindset of buy and hold you know, forever. It's not a stock, right? It's like you add value when you buy. What do you think of that? I think it's great. I think it, it, it does what needs to happen, which is increase the, do the ma required maintenance on the properties that are older. Someone's got to do it, you know? So someone who's knows how to add value in that space is doing it with a margin. So it's, it's perfect. Yeah. More work on the market is good. So the very last one is less about tax and less about property investors, but I think it's still worthwhile to touch on. And that is to do with the employment law, right? Previously, if you're a small business. So we just covered off the Brightline test, Simon. Are there more that I've missed out that you feel like we need to touch on? There's one aspect of the funding lines where government are providing a lot more funding to IRD investigations team. And over the last five years, this team has been underfunded, right? So now that there's going to be a lot more funding towards that team, it would be prudent now if you have any, you know, like uh, stuff you need to clean up and to have that proper advice from an accountant and things lined up because there's going to be a lot more resources for people to look through to ensure that things were done properly over the last five years. So get that advice. Yeah. Stop doing those under the table rental. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's really good point. And definitely what you're saying is more tax police patrolling. Yeah. Which I'm all for. Like people will say, oh, you're not for the government, but no, no, no. Government is, is there for a purpose. And that purpose is to police the market, not be an active member in the market. And that's where the difference I stand in. I think ultimately the game should be fair and everyone should play the rules. And within those rules, if people are making money, then good. No, definitely like the government is important aspect. You know, we have to appreciate the roads, the, the hospitals, the healthcare, right? The education. There's so much that this government has to offer. You know, I'm from another country, so I definitely know how much grace we're getting, right? So sometimes, you know, we might take it for granted, but I'm definitely, you know, encouraging our audience, even our clients to, you know, really, I guess, be grateful with what we have. So the last point that I'm going to touch on is less about tax, less about property investors, but still going to affect, you know, our buyers who are, you know, getting their homes or even people who are owning a small business. This is the a 90 day trial for the new employees. So previously, small employees, 
employers can trial new hires for 90 days and they can't do that anymore in the last government changes. And they can't do that anymore from the last government changes. But now they have expanded the 90-day trial to apply to all businesses. And that's going to, I think, change a lot of, I guess, you know, how people might approach recruitment. How do you think that's going to affect small businesses? I think ultimately from the business aspect of things, it's going to be a good thing. And the reason being is because I think well within those 90 days, I think one, two months maybe, but 90 days definitely, you're going to know if they're a good fit for the business. You're going to know if they're going to be performing. You're going to know if they were lying on their CV during the interview. And if they're a good fit and they continue past that 90 days, and then it's going to be a, allow for businesses to grow more f- efficiently and effectively. If you're a good employee that brings a lot of value and you're moving the company, I don't think that's going to be an issue in, in relation to getting through that period. The only thing that from our perspective that clients probably need to be aware of is if you're going into a new role with this 90-day period, then the banks will, will probably you know be a little bit wary and want to see some either consistency in, in the type of employment or some sort of like mitigant to say, you know, it's likely that this client's going to be continuing the role after 90 days. Or in some cases, the banks may enforce that they will not provide the approval until you're outside that 90-day period. Mm, definitely. I think, you know, as a employer myself, you know, you can call me that. Definitely with that in mind, you know, I can be a bit more risk-taking, you know, because sometimes you're just not sure. Like you are more scared. You have to go, you know what, like if I take this guy, I have to take him. I can't just kick him out. And no one hires somebody with the mindset of, you know what, I'm just going to hire you for 45 days and kick you out. It's a waste of money. You you have to invest in the the person. You have to spend time with them. You have to allocate resources. But sometimes you can see the talent in somebody. They might not be from the industry. They show all the right skill sets, but not the experience and maybe the mindset as well. It's like you want to give them a goal, but because of this 90-day trial period, like it just makes it hard. And so I think, yeah, overall for some small businesses is going to be good. So there we have it, folks. We just talked about five major changes that are sort of, I guess, related to property investors and tax. We got the income tax bracket changes. You got the tenancy laws, making it a bit better for, I guess, notice periods, interest deductibility coming back in force. And uh, Simon mentioned that potentially, you know, that's going to be applied to a lot of properties that are not currently having that interest deductibility as well. You got the bright line test, bringing that five and 10 year bright line to just two years and then the 90 day trial. So overall, I think a lot of positive changes. Thank you for your insights today, Simon. And I guess what we want to ask you for is if you find value in this episode, all we ask for is one thing, that is to share this episode with one person, uh, get value from it. And so until next time, I'll see you guys again. Cheers, Simon.